Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Well, uh, there's a story that um, many preachers like to uh, tell, and uh, apologies if you've heard it before, but um, it illustrates the point rather well. Uh, The idea is that there's a little girl... um, speaking to uh, her mum, and uh, she's thinking about the nature of God. And she says, mum, is, is God everywhere? And mum says, yeah, yeah, God is, God is everywhere. And uh, she says, is God in our town? Says, yes, absolutely. God is, God is in our town. Okay, she thinks further. And she says, is God in our streets? Um, and I said, yeah, of course, absolutely. If he's ever, everywhere, he's there as well. Then she says, is God in this room? And the mother says, absolutely, yes, yes, he's in this room. Wow, what an amazing thought. And she puts her hand out and she says, is God on my hand? Oh, by the same kind of stretch of logic, the mother says, yes. And the little girl goes, got him. Now, it's, um, apologies if you've heard it many times before, but it's, it's worth wheeling out a couple of times, isn't it? Because uh, it's a familiar story that helps remind us of how difficult it is when we apply limited human logic and reasoning to the nature of God and try to grasp him with it. You know, we... We often think about how, how big things are, don't we? There's always the discussion, you know, is, your, is your car big enough? Or do you need to upgrade your car? Is your house big enough? Or do you need to get a bigger house? How about this question? Is your God big enough? Is your God big enough? By which, I, I don't mean necessarily the God that you choose to believe in, the God that you choose to follow, but is your idea of that God big enough? That is, does the size of the God that inhabits your thoughts come anything near the actual size of the God that you know? I mentioned earlier, we're starting a new series just through the summer. We're thinking uh, about the attributes of God. And one of the challenges with talking about God is that we feel, often particularly if we've been Christians for a while, very familiar with the concept And actually, that familiarity is something we have to do battle with. Because the fact that we we know the basics about God often means that we we don't know them. We haven't thought, we we so know them, we haven't bothered to think about them for a long time. Francis Schaeffer, a mid-20th century theologian, said this, Let us notice that no word is as meaningless as is the word God. No word is as meaningless as is the word God. What he meant by that is basically, you say the word God, you can put whatever meaning into it you like. Just because you've said the word God doesn't mean you have any idea what you're talking about. Which God is the question? 
over these next four weeks, we're going to be looking at, at, at some attributes. Today, his infinitude. Uh, next week, his eternal nature. Uh, the week after that, how he is self-sufficient. And then the week after that, how he's all-knowing. And all of that's true about the God of Jesus Christ that we know. But sometimes, because we know him as the God of Jesus Christ, we sort of take the shortcut. We're just like, ah, oh, that stuff, that's just too much for me. I'm just going to go to Jesus the man. And that's good. There's a place for that. But what we're trying to do in these couple of weeks is to avoid that shortcut. And to think, first of all, that the great God of all the universe, it's, he's the one who comes to us in Jesus Christ. And so recover the, the wonder that we find when we stop and consider that he is God in all his fullness. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm just going to have another look at those couple of verses that we shared uh, earlier. And then I'm going to try to think a little bit further about what that means for us as we think about God and what it might mean for our own lives. So uh, back to those verses that we've had read a couple of times and, uh, and that we've now sung. Um, thank you, Rachel, for picking just, just the right song about God. Here they are. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has understood or fathomed the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? When Isaiah was writing these words, he takes, first of all, all the, the big ticket items in the in inventory of creation, if you like. He takes the waters, all the seas and the oceans. And he takes the heavens. Then he takes the dust of the earth. Then he mentions, talks about the mountains and the hills. Now you try and cram all of those things into your own mind. That in itself is mind-stretching, mind-boggling. Just thinking about those things in their own right, all together. And then what he says is, imagine God as the master craftsman using instruments on a relatively small scale in his work of creation with those elements. So he takes the waters, all of the waters, and he puts them in the hollow of his hand. Imagine that for a moment. And then he's just looking at the heavens. And, and the breadth of his hand is what he uses just to sort of mark off the beginning and the end. And then he takes all the dust of the earth and he puts it in a little basket. And then he takes a set of scales and he puts Mount Everest in there, all the Himalayas, and uh, he puts the Rockies in there, and then he puts the Alps in there, and the Caucasus, just popping slightly out the side, just has a look what, what, the, what, the, what the dial says. We have that song, don't we? He's got the whole world in his hands. Perhaps you grew up singing that at school or something. As a child, I used to actually imagine that. You know, God standing there and the world like that. God is a great big figure in space holding the world. And actually, you know what? That's basically what Isaiah is doing in this. He's, he's saying, imagine God like that for a moment. Except, of course, it's all questions. Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Who has fathomed the mind of the Lord? Who has measured the waters? No one has. And even that image doesn't get there. The great contrast between the creator and his creation is not that he is bigger than his creation, you know, four times bigger or 40 times bigger or 
four million times bigger. He's infinitely greater, as Toby reminded us this morning. It's impossible to measure him. It's impossible to compare him with his creation. So the first couple of verses, they speak in those terms of kind of measuring. Um, And then we go from from the workshop, if you like, to the vocabulary of the design bureau. So he talks about who can fathom, who can instruct the Lord, who can, who can think about his counsel, who does he consult with, whom does he need to, to be enlightened with, who can teach the Lord, who knows the Lord's knowledge and understanding. So now he's talking about wisdom. So imagine for a moment all the volumes, all the books ever written in a great big heap. Then add to that all the questions humanity has ever explored, all the great minds put together, all the Einsteins and so forth. All of that only is only a tiny subset of the wisdom of God. So the section finishes with this, with this great question. To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? And of course the answer is no one, nothing. God is incomparable. There's no measure that's up to the job. Any attempt to, to find will always fail because he's incomparable. You can't find anything that you could that sort of compares with him so that you could get an accurate measurement. He's infinite. God is infinite. Well, so far, so good. But what does that actually mean for us? Well, um, again, we're, we're in that phase of life uh, with, with little kids where we're sort of discovering some of these things. I don't know whether you, you remember this from your own family or, or even from your own life. We have got, at least some of our kids are in the kind of, I've just, I've just discovered infinity zone. And uh, the way that goes is you build a, a Lego plane and then your brother builds a Lego plane. And, and you say, well, my plane is two times faster than yours. And then your brother says, no, 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 my plane is a hundred times faster than yours. And you know, that's okay for a, for a year or so. And then someone pulls out the trump card and says, well, my plane is infinity times faster than yours. You know, so that ups the stakes. And then depending what age you're at, if you're just still young enough, it's really quite sweet. They go, well, my plane is infinity 100 times faster than yours. And then we kind of go into this sort of strange realm of explanation where you have to sit the kids down. You know, infinity plus one is infinity. What? What? What is that? Anyway, um, we really struggle to engage our brains, don't we, when we talk about infinity. It's very hard to actually conceive of it. But that is where the real difference between us and God lies. He is infinite and we are finite. So on the side of God's infinity, this is Schaefer again. He says there's a great chasm between God on the one side and man or the animal or the flower or the machine on the other. On the side of God's infinity, he stands alone. He is the absolute other He is in his infinity contrary to all else. He is differentiated from all else because only he is infinite. He's the creator. All else was created. He is infinite. Everything else is finite. All else is brought forth by creation. So all else is dependent and only he is independent. This is absolute on the side of his infinity. And if we think about God for long enough, and we wouldn't have long enough because we'd have to live 
an infinite amount of time to do so. This is where we would get to, his infinity. So here's a question that, though you will never get to the end of it, is always worth asking. Is the God you know the infinite God? I don't know whether whether you've had that kind of slightly strange, disappointing feeling when a certain unnamed delivery company delivers you a parcel that's this size, you know, and you open the, the thing, and it turns out there's a tiny little box pressed into the corner. That's a bit like our understanding of God sometimes, isn't it? It, 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 it should be so much bigger, and in fact, it's just this tiny little sort of corner of what it should be. We're going to have a little bit more of a think about how we might expand our thinking of God. But for now, it's just good, I think, for us as Christians to recognize that we want to, do, we want to have to do with God. Right? We want to be about God. And we want to be about God the infinite. And although that's daunting, we still want to go after it. And that's worth stating to, to one another. You know, sometimes it's, it's so much easier to deal in the concrete and limited things, isn't it? To get really into church, which, you know, you can see one end of the building from the other. Brilliant. Or the things that we do as Christians, you know, the way that we live as Christians. It's obviously important. We can describe it. And it, it starts and it finishes. Uh, the people we love. Of course, they're precious. We know where they start and where they finish. The songs we sing, whatever it is, those concrete things can be really attractive for us to go after. But we want to be people who are all about God. So as well as all of that, we want to be those who think about the infinite God. But of course, that is quite challenging. So preachers can go on, they can stand up and talk about it for a while, um, get the thesaurus out and find some words that are a bit like infinite and say them after a while. But what's it like to really engage with that? Well, do you remember the story of Solomon and when he built his temple? Do you remember David was going to build a temple, but he didn't, and then Solomon instead built it? Uh, and there's a lovely moment um, in, in, I think it's 1 Chronicles. Um, Solomon instructs the temple to be built. He gets an amazing workman to do all the work, and there, there it is. And he's finished his work. And then he suddenly has this kind of moment. Remember, the temple was supposed to house God. This was where God was going to dwell. And it's almost like he sort of suddenly thinks, oh dear, oh, I've made a dreadful mistake. And he says this, but will God indeed dwell with man upon the earth? Even heaven, the highest heaven, cannot contain you, much less this temple I have built. But in the action itself, It tells us a bit what it's like to engage with an infinite God, to respond in some kind of way, to do something that reflects the grandeur of God. And each of us, though it doesn't involve building a temple, are called to do something like that. We call it worship. So God is unfathomable. God is unfathomable. But just briefly as I conclude, I want to suggest that even though he's unfathomable, We are to fathom him. Fathom him. Now, I use the word uh, fathom probably inappropriately, but think of the fathom idea, right? You get your, your, your rope and you start letting it down into the depths to see how deep the water is. That's not a bad picture of what it involves to think about God. It's to start to see how deep we can go into understanding 
who God is. That's what the scriptures su- suggest that we should do. They ask these questions. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? To which the answer, of course, is no one. But they ask them, nevertheless, because they're worth thinking about. Because we begin to think our ways into the infinitude of God. There's a lovely moment in this passage where the writer begins to think, what am I going to do about it? And that comes in verse 16. So he says, surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They're regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. And then he says this. He says, Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. So thinking about God, God is so great. And then he begins to think, oh, well, what could we do in response? Perhaps we could make some burnt offerings as a, a, in worship. Uh, or uh, perhaps we could, we could set up an altar. And that is the human response to God's infinitude, that we turn to him in worship. But how do we know what we're worshiping? Well, for that we have the scriptures. And the scriptures allow us to say true things about God, even though they never fully describe him. We'll never get the long and short of God, but we can say something meaningful. Here's a lovely little illustration from J.I. Packer. He put it this, like this. He said, just as the two-year-old son of a man with a brain like Einstein could not understand all that was going on in his father's mind if his father told him, so it would be beyond us under any circumstances to understand all that goes on in the mind of God, the omniscient, all-wise, not-in-any-way-time-bound mind of God. But just as the genius who loves his boy will take care that in talking to him he speaks in such a way that all he says can be understood, even though that means reducing it all nearly to baby talk and leaving much of his own thinking unvoiced, so God does the same when he opens his mind and heart in the written scriptures. So the Bible is like God reaching all the way down from his Einstein-like mind to a little two-year-old and speaking in baby talk to us. Are the scriptures true? Yeah, they are. Are they enough? Yes, they are all we need for faith and godliness. But in no way are we to imagine that all the concepts in this book express all there is to be said about God. The fact that God condescends to reveal himself in terms we can understand, that means by definition, it falls short of who he is. Revelation in scripture must be limited. So the scriptures are like God stooping down from the heavenlies to speak to us in ways that we can understand. And of course, uh, and with this we're going to conclude in a moment as we come to the Lord's Supper, that infinite God draws close to us in his mercy and his tenderness. He does so in the person of the Lord Jesus. Here's a song that we often sing here. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. 
The cross has spoken. I am forgiven. The king of kings calls me his own. Beautiful savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. So as we think about God's infinite nature, we recognize that that same infinite God is the one who comes to dwell with us. And not only does he speak to us in his words, but he speaks to us in the bread and the wine. Very finite, very accessible tokens of his grace and kindness to us. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.